KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's a few days before Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and there's excitement at the historic First Unitarian Church on 22nd and Chestnut Streets in Philadelphia. We've learned in the last few years that our building was the site of an important moment in civil rights history. The Reverend Hannah Capaldi is First Unitarian's Minister for Faith Formation. And so based on that research that's come out, we are applying for and should receive an amendment to our historic designation to be included as an important civil rights site, as well as a site of architectural importance. What's the big deal here? What did this research uncover? It was here that Martin Luther King Jr. heard Mordecai Johnson, who was the president of Howard University, give a sermon, a talk in our sanctuary about what he had learned in India from Gandhi about nonviolent direct action. And it's said that Martin Luther King, upon hearing that sermon, that speech here in our sanctuary, was inspired to begin exploring the potential and the possibility of nonviolent direct action for the civil rights movement here in the United States. Does it validate things a little bit more? Does it bring a greater sense of pride when something's officially recognized? Sure, sure. It definitely brings a sense of pride, yeah, that other people recognize. I mean, we know how special this place is, but it feels really good to have other people recognize how special this place is. Now, imagine the exact opposite of this dynamic. Flip the script. What if places and moments and events like this weren't recognized properly or given their just due. This is the John Cast, a podcast about interesting and unexpected stories from Philadelphia. I'm Brian Seltzer, and today, the struggles to get two sites with direct ties to Martin Luther King Jr. officially recognized. Tierra pokes her head out from behind the front door of her row home on Walnut Street in the Bergen Square section of Camden. It's a dreary morning in early January, and there's a drizzle falling. She's wearing flannel pants and a down jacket to keep herself warm and dry. But before she gets on her way to do some errands, Tierra stops to chat. She's got a smile on her face, and it's clear she's got something she wants to say. I actually have a joke that I tell everybody that comes here. I'm like, yeah, because I live uh, next to Celebrity, so technically I live in a condo. But, um, yeah, I, I, I feel very, um, it's a very humbling experience. like that. Because this not It's a cute joke, but it's also tragic. Because all you need to do is take one quick look down Tierra's block, and you'll see right away, plain and simple, right in front of your eyes, that no one famous lives there, at least not now. There's no fancy condos. All that's there is a bunch of rundown houses, vacant lot, trash on the streets. It feels like a place that's been forgotten, a place where there's just this constant emptiness. When people think about Camden, they think about, the first thing they think about is the fact that we're poor. They call us animals, they call us, you know. But we have some amazing people here. The fact that we have to put in two times, three times as much work as people outside of the city to be able to rise from the city and become something great is amazing. What's even more incredible is that the celebrity Tierra joked about, the one who she said used to live next door to her house, was Martin Luther King Jr. It seems almost impossible, given the current state of the home at 753 Walnut and the rest of the block. That's been abandoned since I was a kid. I'm 31. A lot of these houses can't, probably can't be re- rehabilitated because they've waited so long. Like, I'm sure the wood in there is mush, so... I don't know. I don't know. I, I will hope that they can restore it. But like I said, a lot of these riot homes, their only fate is to come down. Tierra's not exaggerating. The windows of the house are boarded up 
and there's a huge hole towards the back of the house that covers parts of the first and second floor. Across the street lives a guy named Daryl. Daryl's 40 years old. His family's been in that house going all the way back to the 1920s. These days, there's two big wooden beams that prop up the front whitewashed facade of Daryl's home. He was recently given a notice to vacate. The majority of people here on this block right now, they didn't know about it. I found out through my family. Do you remember how the stories made you feel when they told you this when you were a young kid and the impression that they made upon you? Um, I don't remember the story specifically, but I do remember feeling a lot of pride and, and knowing that um, somebody as, as um, famous as Martin Luther King coming over here and um, spending time here amongst people in this area it just was is amazing thing. It just brought pride, you know. Um, a lot of people don't know just what it was like in the 50s, in the 40s, in the 60s even, as far as how beautiful this area was. Now people ride by, they have no idea that Martin Luther King frequented here. He didn't just come here once or twice. He would come here all the time when he was in the New Jersey, Philadelphia area. What Daryl says is true. And the crazy thing about it is, is that if you were to pass by 753 Walnut Street, there is no evidence whatsoever of anyone or anything of prominence or significance having to do with that house. Unless, of course... You knew what you were looking for. About 10 miles east of the house at 753 Walnut Street in Camden, two guys are having lunch at a wing joint right by the dividing line of Mapleshade and Morristown Townships. These guys know what to look for. My name is Lynn Washington. I'm a a journalist and I'm also a professor of journalism at Temple University. My name is Patrick Duff and uh, I am a Renaissance man. I do a lot. I don't know exactly how to label myself, but I'd say investigative independent journalist and uh, civil rights activist. About seven or so years ago, Lynn and Patrick had never met. I am an avid talk radio listener, and uh, there's a station 900 WURD in Philadelphia that I listen to pretty much religiously. And he is a guest on that show often to talk about things in journalism and history. And when I realized that he had done work around the Martin Luther King uh, Mabel Shade incident, I reached out to him and I was looking for information and anybody that had information, which is tough to find. So, but he was one of them. The Mabel Shade incident that Patrick is talking about took place about 500 feet from the wing restaurant where he and Lynn are eating. All that's there now is a slab of grass at the intersection where an off-ramp from Route 73 connects with East Main Street. Right now we're looking at a, a, the site where Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. held his first protest, where the original cafe restaurant was where this protest took place. If you need a second to let what Lynn Washington just said sink in, I can't blame you. But you heard him right. Martin Luther King Jr.'s first protest was held about 20 minutes outside of Philadelphia in Mapleshade, New Jersey. Crazy. This was back in 1950. And Lynn was shocked to learn about this, too, about 40 years ago, when he was still a reporter. I found out about this in a street corner conversation. It was an incredible, non-credentialed historian in Philadelphia named James Spady. He said, oh, did you know that Dr. King did his first protest in Maple Shade? And it's like, what? Wait a minute. No, it's Montgomery. He said, no, it's Maple Shade, New Jersey. And that started me to do some digging, do some research. I was working at the Philadelphia Daily News at the time. And when I was able to finally assemble enough information, some of which were in a lot of historic books and uh, biographies on King, 
about the significance of maple shade, I was able to convince the powers that be at the Daily News at the time to do its King Day coverage in 1986 on this incident. And so, on January 16th, 1986, the Daily News ran an article called Beginnings from Hill to Mountain with a co-byline from Lynn Washington and Julia Lawler. And the article told the story of how in the early morning hours of June 12th, 1950, Martin Luther King Jr. and three companions went out to a bar in Mapleshade called Mary's Cafe. Through his reporting, Lynn identified the owner of the bar, a man named Ernest Nichols, who refused to serve King a bottle of beer and four glasses. After getting denied, King then asked for four glasses of ginger ale. Again, Nichols, the owner, refused to serve him. At this point, Nichols proceeds to leave the bar, and when he comes back, he's got a gun. And according to one report, he waved it around and fired it outside the bar. Another report said that Nichols had to be calmed down by white patrons at Mary's Cafe. And again, this is all based on a collection of articles and legal documents that together paint a picture of what happened that night. Now what happens next is key. It was critical to the development and evolution of Martin Luther King and his outlook on life. He refused to leave. This protest might not have been on the same scale in terms of size as something like, let's say, the march from Selma to Montgomery or the Freedom Now rally that drew 10,000 people to West Philadelphia in 1965. But still, make no mistake, this was a protest. And it was really significant, especially in the formative sense, because up until then, Martin Luther King Jr., there was no documented evidence of him using nonviolence as a form of protest against racism and discrimination. He was 21 at the time, still a student at Crozier Theological Seminary. When King and his friends ultimately left Mary's Cafe, they went straight to the police and reported the incident. We are really standing now on hollowed ground where Dr. King not only states his first protest against racial discrimination, but that protest led to his first lawsuit against racial discrimination, all right here in New Jersey. So Lynn Washington wrote about all this in his King Day coverage for the Daily News in 1986. Let's fast forward now three decades to 2014, and that brings us to Patrick Duff, who's just beginning his own personal exploration into the life of Martin Luther King. And he finds out about the incident that Lynn wrote about in the Daily News. Now, Patrick's from South Jersey. He's lived in the area for most of his life, and he couldn't believe what he was reading. I said, wait, are you kidding me? Like Martin Luther King and Mabel Shade? That doesn't make any sense to me because as a person that has studied him to learn his methods, I said, well, how did I not know about this? This is probably as good a time as any to pause for a moment and tell you a little bit more about Patrick Duff. He's a really interesting guy. He's got his own website, rabblerouser.blog. Its slogan is news from where the sun don't shine. And it specializes, as it says, right across the top banner of the site, serving up delicious scoops of corruption, mostly in South Jersey. Patrick grew up in Delran. He didn't finish high school, moved out to Los Angeles to get into the cannabis business in 2005. And remember, this was before the industry was as wide open and mainstreamed as it is now. So Patrick, through his involvement in the cannabis industry, became a cannabis advocate. He ran into a lot of resistance, especially with law enforcement. He said he was even raided a couple times by the DEA. But here's the thing about Patrick. He is the type of person that when he gets into something, he gets into it. He's extremely passionate. He's sharp. He's not easily intimidated. 
and he isn't afraid to pick a fight. So campaigning for legalization became Patrick's big cause, and he was looking for inspiration. Obviously, I'm white. You know, it's something that people do wonder. But, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, is there any great white civil rights leaders in the country that I can look for to how to how to further my movement, which was the legalization movement? That was the cause that caused me to actually look into the life of Martin Luther King at first and his methods of nonviolence and how they worked and how they didn't work. This is why, eight or so years ago, Patrick began doing so much research on Martin Luther King. And after he read about the sit-in at Mary's Cafe in Mapleshade in 1950, he wanted to know even more. The primary source document from an arrest in 1950 is not something that you could think of as easy to find. But on January 15th of 2015, Martin Luther King's birthday, uh, I was fishing through Stanford University archives. And in that had the police complaint from Mapleshade with Martin Luther King's signature signed right on it. Within an hour, I think I had the copy. And it showed King and, and Maple Shade and showed his name. And, and then it showed that he was at 753 Walnut Street as a ha- home address. And I said, that is absolutely absurd. But he lived in Camden. <laughs> King and Camden, this is something I never heard of. You got to check out our show notes on our Twitter feed at the Johncast or KYW News Radio on Instagram to see a copy of the report that Patrick provided us. Martin Luther King Jr.'s signature is right there in the bottom right corner of the first page. But this was the big takeaway, that the story of King and Camden and the house at 753 Walnut Street couldn't be told without the incident at Mary's Cafe in Mapleshade, and vice versa. The two sites were connected. Patrick caught the research bug big time. He was fascinated. He continued to dig. He pulled out dozens of newspaper clippings. He started talking to people and got firsthand oral history accounts that supported King's presence in Camden. He consulted the work of other historians. What Patrick came to find was that King didn't live there, live there at the Walnut Street house in Camden. It wasn't his primary or permanent residence, but he did go there frequently when he was at Crozier Theological Seminary in Delaware County. And why was it that Martin Luther King picked this specific house, 753 Walnut, to go to? Because it was owned by the uncle of his best friend. And who was his best friend? A guy named Walter McCall, who King met at Morehouse College in Atlanta, then studied with at Crozier. And get this. McCall was part of the same group that King was with the night of June 12th when they went to the bar at Mary's Cafe in Mapleshade. His name is on the police report, too. Patrick's downloading all this information as he's standing right in front of the front door of 753 Walnut Street in Camden. Walter very clearly states that the first civil rights battle that he had ever been in with with Dr. King was in Mapleshade, New Jersey. The battle itself actually took place in Mapleshade, but the pre-planning of the battle and the, the conversations about going down the Maple Shade actually took place right here at this house. Maple Shade doesn't serve black people. And King and McCall said, you know, we're going to head down there. And on the steps, Martin Luther King says on those very steps that, well, maybe we need to go down there so we can start to go anywhere that we want. I'm not going to claim to be the biggest history buff out there, but I have lived in the Philadelphia area for pretty much my entire life. And I had never heard of this story that A, King spent time in Camden, and B, essentially used nonviolence as a form of protest for the first time at a bar in Mapleshade. I mean, not only is it wild, it seems wildly significant too, right? That's what Patrick Duff thought, so this is what he did. In 2015, March 16th of 2015, I filed an application to have this home placed on the New Jersey Historic Registry and the National Historic Registry, and the state of New Jersey has done nothing but fight with me about this uh, application. Say what now? The state of New Jersey has done nothing 
but fight with me about this uh, application. This is where the story starts to get really interesting. Because on the surface, it seems pretty intuitive that adding places like the Walnut Street House in Camden or the site where Mary's Cafe used to be in Mapleshade to something like a historic register would be a no-brainer, right? Well, you would be wrong. Very wrong. And we'll get into that next. This is the John Cast. I'm Brian Seltzer. The 700 block of Walnut Street in the Bergen Square section of Camden right off 676 could use a lot of help. Most of the homes are in rough shape, there's litter on the streets, and in vacant lots. But there was this one time that officials got that block cleaned up real quick. Patrick Duff remembers. They cleaned the entire block that day. It took two days to clean the entire block. They brought dumpsters out here just so John Lewis could come out here and they could make the street as presentable as possible to him. Lewis, of course, is the late renowned civil rights activist from Atlanta. He was also a U.S. congressman. King was one of his mentors. During a trip to Philadelphia, he came to see the abandoned house at 753 Walnut. So I think it's important for this city, for this state, and for our nation to save this noble place the Martin Luther King Jr. stayed. And I would love to come back here and visit in the marker this place and this building is restored. So I said to you, don't give up. Don't get lost in the sea of despair. Keep the faith. I will work with your mayor, with your congressperson, to do everything possible. It's all going to work out. We welcome you. Thank you very much. Lewis never made it back. He died in 2020. But you can tell, based on the way Lewis spoke about the house, that he had a grasp of what was going on behind the scenes. And keep in mind, this is only about a year and a half after Patrick started campaigning for the Walnut Street House to be listed on the New Jersey Register of Historic Places. Lewis's hope was that the house would one day get that type of designation. John Lewis came here and literally begged. He said he wanted to come back the next year and see the house certified and restored. Lynn Washington is a professor of journalism at Temple University. He's also a former reporter for the Philadelphia Daily News who profiled King's first nonviolent protest at Mary's Cafe in Mapleshade. He was following what was going on with Lewis's visit to Camden pretty closely. It's very interesting. John Lewis says, fix the house. The mayor of Camden says, fix the house. The congressman who was a, a, represents this area said, fix the house. The joint legislature of New Jersey, the House and the Senate, says fix the House. What do New Jersey Historic Preservation Office people do? They ignore the legislature, the governor, the congressman, and John Lewis. The New Jersey Historic Preservation Office. Meet another key character in our story. Let's focus first on the efforts to get 753 Walnut Street on the New Jersey Register of Historic Places. When Patrick Duff initially submitted a preliminary application in March of 2015, it went to the New Jersey Historic Preservation Office. The HPO is part of New Jersey's Department of Environmental Protection. Now, on the HPO's official website, there's a PDF that explains how the HPO does its reviews. And in that document, it says these reviews, quote, take no longer than 45 days. That's, of course, pending a couple different types of extenuating circumstances, none of which apply to the Martin Luther King House in Camden. But after Patrick sent in the preliminary application for 753, he kept waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. It took four years, 10 months, and 15 days to get the response. And it said 
and I quote, that the events in Maple Shade in this home are of quote-unquote minimal historic import. Minimal historic import wasn't the exact quote, but it was pretty close. In a nine-page response dated January 31st, 2020, that rejected Patrick's preliminary application to get 753 on the New Jersey Historic Register, there's a line on the sixth page that says, quote, the importance attached to the Maple Shade incident is generally minimal. So how did the New Jersey Historic Preservation Office come to the conclusion that Patrick Duff's research wasn't sufficient enough? Here's some highlights from the HPO's response letter. First, we should establish a few things just for the sake of context. The HPO follows criteria from the National Register of Historic Places when it's deciding on what to do with an application for the State Historic Register. Also worth noting that for this particular case of the house at 753 Walnut Street, not only did the HPO do its own research in-house, it contracted out an independent report from Stockton University to investigate Patrick's research and claims. Okay, as for what the eventual rulings were, the first piece of criteria that the HPO considered was whether or not the Walnut Street House was a place where a significant event actually occurred. The second piece of criteria the HPO looked at was whether the strength and duration of Martin Luther King Jr.'s stays at the Walnut Street House were enough to constitute or warrant a marker or listing in the State Historic Register. In respect to criteria point number one, the HPO stance was, no, there was not a significant event that occurred at 753 Walnut Street in the HPO's eyes. Patrick disagrees. He's adamant something significant did happen there. He says this is where Martin Luther King hatched his first plan to deliberately stand up to discrimination, and that was at Mary's Cafe in Mapleshade, the first documented nonviolent protest in Martin Luther King Jr.'s life. To him, what could be more significant than that? What's got Patrick so convinced that this is the way things played out? Three pieces of evidence. The first one, the Walter McCall oral history. When McCall says in an interview he did about the June 12, 1950 incident in Mapleshade, quote, the first civil rights struggle King had ever been in was with me. It was in Mapleshade, New Jersey. Piece of evidence number two, an article from the Burlington County Times in New Jersey from March 6, 1998. In the article, a man named Jesthro Hunt recalls the events that led up to King's decision to go to the bar in Mapleshade, Mary's Cafe. How could Hunt attest to this? Well, he lived in the house at 753 Walnut Street. He was cousins with Walter McCall. Jesthro's father, Benjamin, owned the house. Hunt was 77 at the time he gave the interview to the Burlington County Times, but he said in the article he remembered telling King and McCall on the front steps of the house in Camden how, quote, stupid they were to go to Mapleshade. He said King, quote, said in response, oh, that's okay. You think we shouldn't be going up there? We've got to get this thing changed to the point where we can go anywhere. So Patrick says this anecdote puts King at the house in Camden when he decided to take deliberate action to protest discrimination in a nonviolent way. And finally, the third piece of evidence that Patrick points to, a phone interview he conducted in 2017 with Thelma Lowry. She was one of Jess Thorohunt's sisters who also lived at 753 Walnut when Martin Luther King would come there. Check this out. Was, was there anything um, about Dr. King personally that, that you remember that you'd like to add? It was just another person in the house at the time. You know what I mean? Sure. It wasn't a big thing. It was like daddy always had company, always had uh, members of the family, right? Wow. <laughs> now, there was an incident that took place in uh, Maple Shade, New Jersey. Did you know, do you know anything about that incident? I know Daddy told him not to go, and he went. See, can, you, can you elaborate more on when you say, like, Daddy told him not to go? Do, do you remember Okay, it? they were having a discussion, right? 
and they knew that certain places in Camden, Mapleshade, any place that we could not go, we considered as blacks could not go. Okay. okay? And this was a type of place that blacks was not allowed. And Daddy told him. And Martha said, "Well, it's a free country, you know, and we could go there. They shouldn't be segregated, you know." Mm-hmm. And anyway. So what you have here are three separate interviews, all with people from the same family that lived at 753 Walnut Street in Camden, that essentially corroborate the same gist of the story. Patrick stunned. None of this was enough to satisfy the HBO's criteria to demonstrate that Martin Luther King sowed the seeds for that protest at Mary's Cafe at 753 Walnut. He knew that, number one, if he went there, he wouldn't be served. Number two, he knew that a newly enacted law could protect him if he did go down there. So the first time that New Jersey had the ability for a civil rights bill to be enforced was late 1949, and then come the summer of 1950, uh, probably one of the first people to test that law in New Jersey is Martin Luther King Jr. The law that Patrick's referring to is the 1949 New Jersey Civil Rights Act. All right, as for the second piece of criteria the HBO was looking at, that one had to do with the strength and duration of King's stays at the Walnut Street House. Again, the HBO's verdict was no. The nature of King's visits didn't check the right boxes. Lynn Washington has the rebuttal for this one. It is so ridiculous that the issue that the New Jersey Historic Preservation Group, HBO, the r- rationale that they give for not certifying the house is that Dr. King never lived in the house. That was never an issue. It was always that he stayed here. Even from their rationale, if Dr. King just stayed here, that does not in any way obviate the fact that he planned the protest here and he left for the protest that night, that Sunday night, to go to Mapleshade. There are a couple other interesting plot twists to how this whole process played out. The report that the New Jersey HBO contracted out to Stockton University to look into Patrick's preliminary application to register the Walnut Street House, well, it didn't come cheap to the tune of $21,000, according to records that Patrick obtained. He and Lynn also pointed out that none of the seven members of the research team that Stockton used for the report was black. Something else that was kind of a head-scratcher to help justify their decision to reject Patrick's preliminary application for 753 Walnut the HBO cited the works of two accomplished authors about Martin Luther King Jr. Nothing strange about that. But here's the deal. The authors themselves, they weren't happy. Why? Well, for starters, no one from the HBO asked them if they could cite their work. And on top of that, the authors disagreed with the HBO's final decision, which was to reject Patrick's application. One of the authors is Dr. Lewis Baldwin. He's a retired professor at Vanderbilt and studied King his entire career. He wrote to the HBO saying this matter was of great concern to him And that, quote, New Jersey has a great opportunity to not only honor Martin Luther King, but to reclaim much of its own place in history, the struggle for social justice, equal rights, and human dignity. The other author, Patrick Parr, published a book about King's late teens and early 20s called The Seminarian. Parr wrote to the HBO that he was, quote, surprised his book was used as evidence for not protecting 753 Walnut Street as a historical site, and also that we need to stop splitting hairs here. Lynn Washington is a journalist by trade. He knows when and how to ask the questions that need to be asked. This uh, incident not only raises uh, alarm bells, it sounds air raid sirens. It is absolutely incredible 
that a state agency in a state that could show that this was the first place where Martin Luther King Jr. had his first protest would ignore it. Why they're doing this, I don't know. Each day, for four days before publishing this story, we called or emailed the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection. Late in the afternoon, the day before we published, they responded to us with a statement from Dr. Kate Markiple, who is the administrator for the State Historic Preservation Office. The statement says, The DEP is enthused and committed to memorializing the civil rights history of Camden and the surrounding area. To that end, the department has worked with and shared grant opportunities and strategies for preservation with the property owner of 753 Walnut Street. In fact, the property owner was a recent recipient of a New Jersey Historic Grant Award this past September. We sent an email to the owner of 753 Amir Khan, but didn't hear back. He's spoken publicly about wanting to transform the house into a museum of sorts. But here's the thing. Neither the statement from the HPO or the Grant Award seems to address the issue that Patrick has been fighting for, which is getting the house in Camden on the New Jersey Register of Historic Places. Not only is that important to Patrick because there would be a tangible monument to the historic significance of the site, but a listing on a historic register also comes with a series of safeguards for non-federal property owners about what can be done to the site or the property, namely destruction. The HPO also provided us a letter Kathy Markable sent to Patrick Duff and Lewis Baldwin, the Vanderbilt Scholar, dated May 24, 2022. The letter reiterates that the HPO follows a regulatory process for nominations to the New Jersey and National Registers of Historic Places, and that unfortunately, Martin Luther King's association with 753 Walnut, quote, does not readily align, end quote, with the right criteria. Markable specifically calls into question Patrick Duff's research about whether King was actually at the Camden House when he planned the protest at Mary's Cafe in Mapleshade. Can you please provide evidence to this claim? She asks in the letter. She also asks, what evidence exists that the incident was planned at Walnut Street rather than Crozer Theological Seminary, which is where King was studying as a student full-time? Patrick dismisses these questions. He calls them, quote, hogwash. He goes back to those three key pieces of evidence we highlighted a few moments ago. The oral history with Walter McCall, the Burlington County Times article that quoted Jesthro Hunt, and Patrick's own interview with Thelma Lowry. As part of our reporting, we also reached out to the state-backed New Jersey Martin Luther King Jr. Commemorative Commission. No response from the people in charge there. We contacted the press officer for the mayor of Camden, got nothing back. We put in a request for a U.S. Congressman Donald Norcross, whose district includes the 750 through Walnut House, but he wasn't available. Patrick Duff and Lynn Washington weren't surprised. As a reporter, I have called both the, the governor's office and the lieutenant governor's office and asked them why the uh, Historic Preservation Office is doing what they're doing. And do they support this denigration of Dr. King? And the response that I have gotten consistently from the governor's office and the lieutenant governor's office is call the HBO. I call the New Jersey Dr. Martin Luther King Commemorative Commission, a state-funded agency that should be commemorating Dr. King. Maple Shade, where the protest took place, 753 Walnut Street, where the protest was planned. And they say, we can't comment. You know that um, there's some things uh, that uh, we should not get involved in. You can't get involved in Dr. Martin Luther King? Now, Patrick did share with us some of the email correspondence he's had with the New Jersey Historic Preservation Office over the years. In October 2020, nine months after the first preliminary application, 
for 753 Walnut Street was rejected, the HBO told Patrick to give it another shot. So he did. He filled out a second application and waited 45 days. Remember, that's how long the HBO says on its website it usually takes to review these applications. The soft deadline passed, and Patrick's wait continued. A year later, in October 2021, Patrick finally got a response from the HBO. They said a staffing shortage contributed to the delay. Another year and a half passed, still no ruling on the second application for 753 Walnut until March 2022, when Patrick got another email from the HBO that again cited a staffing shortage. To this day, Patrick still isn't clear whether or not the second application he sent in for 753 Walnut Street is open or closed. At this point and juncture, I do see the next steps uh, coming as, I mean, I hate to say it, poop or get off the pot. Uh, because I think there's enough people now that recognize the significance that the egg on their face is just growing and growing. And they should be embarrassed. I mean, uh, if, I, if I was a member of the Martin Luther King Historic Preservation or what do you call the uh, Commemorative Commission, I'd be embarrassed to say I, I work there and I recognize King. Their specific specific duties are to recognize Dr. Martin Luther King and his uh, experiences in New Jersey. So that's where things stand with the Walnut Street House. As for the site where Mary's Cafe once stood in Maple Shade, 10 miles away, chalk this one up as a modest victory of sorts for Patrick Duffinland, Washington. A marker was installed among some shrubbery adjacent to the Route 73 off-ramp in 2018. But there's a catch. The site is no longer eligible for an official state historic marker because the original structure of Mary's Cafe, the bar itself, isn't there anymore. It was knocked down during a construction project in 2011. So Mapleshade Township put down a marker of its own, a black pole with a plaque on top. But there was drama surrounding this situation too. Patrick says he was the one who brought attention to the history surrounding the site to the attention of Mapleshade. But when it came time for the township to develop plans for what it was going to do to acknowledge the site and eventually unveil the marker, Patrick was left out. This site originally, I wanted it to be a park. I wanted this to be some type of a park with benches, with a, you know, a memorial, and it still can be. I mean, it's got plenty of room to be such. I mean, it's kind of noisy. So yeah, this, this, this is just the start, this little plaque here. I know, I know it because every year this becomes more and more recognized. Lynn Washington was a journalist who helped shed light on the incident at Mary's Cafe with his Martin Luther King Jr. Day profile in 1986. He's got mixed feelings about the all-black, 10-foot-tall marker that stands on the site now. Well, let's just say this is a work in progress. To look at this marker, it just, to me, not only delineates what happened here, but it is also recognition and confirmation of all of the hard work that Patrick Duff has done on this. And as someone who has worked with him over the years, I can definitely attest to his drive and his zeal and his incredible capability to find information. So if there is a will to recognize something, the way will be found. I mean, what person from American history has a park named for them in Israel, has recognition in India? Who in America has a statue over the west door, the main door of Westminster Abbey in London, Martin Luther King. And he can't get official recognition in New Jersey. Something is terribly wrong with that. Back in Philadelphia, Reverend Hannah Capaldi and the First Unitarian Church are hopeful the National Park Service signs off on the amendment to their entry in the National Historic Registry 
to include language about Martin Luther King Jr. being inspired by a speech that Mordecai Johnson gave at the church. The state of Pennsylvania has already given it its blessing. Next month, First Unitarians got something else in the works to celebrate its connection to Martin Luther King and the advancement of civil rights in America. In February, we'll be having a ceremony, a ceremonial unveiling of a plaque that we'll be installing in our sanctuary. And we did this um, in conjunction with the Nubian Jack Foundation, which is based in England. And their work has largely been to draw attention through plaques to the contributions of Black and Caribbean folks in England. They've started expanding that globally and will be one of the first sites to that they are contributing a plaque to to commemorate the work of Martin Luther King Jr. and this place, particularly in his history. Now, if I were to ask you to take a wild guess about who it was who helped get the wheels in motion for these two projects, the Historic Register Amendment and the Nubian Jack plaque for the First Unitarian Church, who do you think it might have been? Of course, it was Patrick Duff. So everything comes full circle. But on the 700 block of Walnut Street in Camden, the mood's different. Tierra loves her neighborhood. She really is proud of it. But she also thinks there's so much more that could be done to the row home right next door to hers. The one where her celebrity neighbor that she joked about, Martin Luther King, used to stay. I don't know why Camden tries to um, like diminish our history here. We have so much of it, such rich history at that. Um, I have no idea what that's about, but that's it's really big. I went to um, Albany, Georgia, maybe like 15 years ago, and they have a church there that Dr. Martin Luther King preached at, and it's actually a museum, and you can go in there and like touch the stuff and learn a bunch of stuff. So I don't know what this is about. We do know what activists like Patrick Duff and Lynn Washington think. We kind of have an idea about what the New Jersey powers that be think. But what about the people? People like Daryl, whose families lived across the street from 753 Walnut for generations. We've been promised several times that this house would be restored. And I believed it. But it's, it hasn't happened. And I kind of don't understand why. But, you know, if anybody's listening to this story, please restore this house. The John Cass is a production of KYW News Radio Original Podcasts and is made in Philadelphia by Tom Rickard, Sabrina Boyd Serka, Myron Kaplan, Holly Stevens, Bibiana Correa, and me, Brian Seltzer. Special thanks to Karen Shinsky at the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection, Mike Doherty, he covers South Jersey for KYW News Radio, and of course, to Lynn Washington and Patrick Duff. The two of them are working on a book about Martin Luther King Jr.'s ties to the area, so be on the lookout for that down the road. If you want to check out some of the documents that Patrick and Lynn have used to support their research that we reference in this story, or the ones shared with us by the New Jersey Historic Preservation Office, you can find them on Twitter, at the JohnCast, or KYW News Radio's Instagram. We've also got an article up online summarizing the story at kywnewsradio.com. As always, you can listen to JohnCast free on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. We'll talk to you next week.